0: Before I get to my next guest, Charlie Meacham, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Is your driver adjustable? Of course it is. How about your irons? Didn't think so. Adele's new SMS irons give you adjustability in an iron to match your swing. These new irons come with three weights lined up across the back of the club. By moving the heavyweight to the heel, center, or toe location, you can match the club to your swing instead of vice versa. The result? Total control of the club face for more distance and accuracy. Your irons can't do this. Check them out online by going to adelgolf.com. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares golf shoes. The patented Squares toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to Squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now back in next on the T with me is Charlie Meacham. Let me give you some background on Charlie. He's from Nelsonville, Ohio, which is a little southeast of Columbus. He graduated from Miami University of Ohio with his undergraduate degree and Yale Law School. Charlie served three years in the Army. He was the chairman and CEO of Taft Broadcasting Company, which later became the Great American Broadcasting Company. In October of 1990, he became the commissioner of the LPGA Tour. He's been a business advisor to several golf legends, including Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer, who we'll talk about in length tonight, but also Julie Inkster, Annika Sorenstam, and Dottie Pepper. In 2000, he was named a Great Living Cincinnatian, the highest honor awarded by the city of Cincinnati. He's previously written a couple of great books titled Total Anecdotal, a fun and unique guide to help you become a better speaker and writer, and Who's That with Charlie, which is so fascinating that once you pick it up, you're not going to be able to put it down. He's written a new book out that's titled Arnie and Jack, Stories of My Long Friendship with Two Remarkable Men, which you can get out on Amazon.com. And I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Charlie, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: My pleasure, pal. How you doing?
0: I'm good, Charlie. How are you?
1: I'm fine. I'm in uh, Boulder, Colorado, where we... Spend the summers. Uh, We live in the winter in Laquita, California, but you don't want to be there right now because it's about 110. So, (laughs) anyway, well, I'm fine. Thanks. Charlie, I'm a
0: huge Jack Nicholas fan, and I I know you spent a lot of time with both Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Palmer. You've written a wonderful book with a lot of great stories. Talk about the decision that uh, made you want to write the book.
1: I made a speech at the club where I belong in La Quinta called Tradition, which is a course that Arnie designed. And uh, after I made the speech, several people came up to me and said, you know, you may be one of the very few people who knew Arnie and Jack intimately at the same time. And I said, well, you may be right. And uh, they said, why don't you write a book? And share these stories with the public. So that's what I did. And it's really interesting, Chris, because these stories in this book have never really been told before. Maybe one or two have. But most of them are stories that were personal to me, and that's what I'm sharing uh, with the public. And uh, it was really fun to write, and that was why I did
0: it. Charlie, there's so many great stories in this book. I want to talk about several of them. And there's one where PGA Tour Commissioner at the time, Tim Fincham, reached out to you to try to convince Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Palmer to collaborate on designing a course at the World Golf Village, what turned out to be the (laughs) King and the Bear, but neither of them wanted to do it. Talk about that story.
1: This is one of my favorite stories because Tim Fitchum called me one day and he said, "I need your help." I, I remember Chris saying, "Tim, this is an historic moment because never before in history has the commissioner of the PGA Tour asked the commissioner of the LPGA Tour for help." <laughs> and he said, "Well, I, I do need your help. I can't get Jack and Arnie to design together." a golf course at the World Golf Hall of Fame called The King and the Bear. And he said, I've tried and tried and tried, and they come up with all these excuses and all these answers. Uh, but he said, would you give it a whirl? And I said, sure, I'll give it a try. So I had a couple of talks with both Arnie and Jack about designing this course. And I got nowhere. And finally... One day, I had a brainstorm. I was talking to Jack, and I said, Jack, you really need to do this course at the World Golf Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm so busy, and we don't really share the same design philosophy. Come on, come on, come on. I'm not sure I could do it. I said, okay, Jack, this is my last effort to get you to do it. So I just want you to be prepared and Arnie to be prepared to play the player Trevino course. Well, (laughs) immediately, what? What are you talking about? Well, if, if you guys don't do it, do you think the tour is just going to say, okay, fine, we won't do it? They're going to ask Lee Trevino and Gary Player to design the course. And I, I really hope I'm there when you two guys tee off on the player Trevino course. Well, anyway, Chris, you, as you would imagine, within within ten days, spades were in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> they they did they did the course together.
0: Charlie, you also talk about how Mr. Palmer once approached Annika Sorenstam before she played in the Colonial National Invitational on the uh, on the PGA Tour. And Mr. Palmer went up to her and asked her a simple question, and that question was, Why? And you had to intervene to explain to Mr. Palmer what she was thinking. Tell that story.
1: We were playing, or they were playing, a uh, commercial shoot at the course where I lived and still do live in Laquita, California, tradition. And on 18T, I'll never forget this, Chris. Arnie walked over to Annika and about, you know, 12 inches from her face said, why? Well, she had no idea what he was talking about. And he said, why? And so I said, Annika, he's uh, talking about your playing at the Colonial in the men's tour. So she made some efforts not successfully, I think, to explain to him why. So the next day, I said, Arnie, look, I know you don't understand why she's doing this, but let me ask you this. If in some future day, the PGA Tour developed an event which was a, a what uh, step above the PGA Tour. Wouldn't you want to play in an event which was bigger than the PGA Tour? Well, of course I would. And I said, well, Arnie, that's all she's trying to do. She just is trying to figure out if she has the game to play with the men. That's it. Well, he got it, and he wrote her, Chris, the nicest letter Saying he understood, he wished her well, and go get him. I've I've, I've never forgotten that. But he, uh, it was really interesting because he really couldn't get his arms around why she was doing it until he understood that she was doing it to test her own game, and that's the way it worked out.
0: Charlie, you also talk about in the book how different both Mr. Palmer and Mr. Nicholas were, especially when they got older. Mr. Palmer still playing every day. Mr. Nicholas rarely ever playing. Neither man could understand the way the other one was. Talk about why.
1: This is one of my favorite stories. When I spent 10 years sharing an office with Arnie at Bay Hill, every six weeks or so, I would go down to with my old pal Nicholas so one day I said to Arnie I'm going to see Jack tomorrow he said well give him my best so the next day I went into Jack's office we had a nice visit I said Arnie says to say hello he said Charlie how's he, how's he doing I said he, Jack I think he's doing fine he said does he still play golf every day and I said well Yes, he does. He just kind of shook his head. So the next day, I'm back in uh, Mayhill, and I said, Jack says, hello. And Arnie says, how are you doing? I said, he's doing fine. Seems fine. And Arnie says, "Uh, is he playing much golf? And I said, really, not much golf now. Uh, Maybe occasionally, but not a lot. And Harney looked at me straight on and says, well, Charlie, then what the hell does he do all day long? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> excuse me. I have never forgotten that.
0: You also tell a story about having lunch one day with Mr. Palmer shortly after the Masters, maybe the day after the Masters one year. And, and you asked him about what he thought about a player in the lead laying up on both 13 and 15. Can you talk about what his response was to that?
1: One of the great moments in my life in terms of hearing Arnold, I, this was a day after the tournament. And the player who was laid up on 13 and 15 did not win. So I said, Arnie, um, did you ever play up on 13 and 15? He looked at me and he said, Charlie, do you know how many times I've come in second at Augusta? And I said, well, no, no, I really don't. He said, neither do I. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i
1: mean there was no there was no second place for arnie no second place but i've never i've never forgotten that because the the thought of laying up for arnie was simply unthinkable chris simply unthinkable and that's why he and this by the way this is a little beyond the question you asked but i once said to arnie uh Arnie, you know, uh, I've often been asked, how can you play Augusta as well as you do? You won it five times uh, when your trajectory of your ball is about four feet off the ground. <laughs> uh, and he said, Charlie, it's very simple. When I knew that I had to play Augusta, I knew I had the trajectory higher than I normally did. So I simply did it, and I, I've never forgotten that Chris because he he dealt with a problem that he had to de- deal with, and he and he dealt with it. And not not many players, in my opinion, could he could or would do that, but he did.
0: Charlie, you also tell a story about having dinner with Mr. Palmer and his wife, talking about maturity. And when you really reach maturity is when you meet somebody and realize that he or she is better than you are at what you do best. Talk about that story and what Mr. Palmer's response to that was.
1: In the uh, in my book, this has come under the title of "Oops," because when I said what I said, I thought, "Oh my God, why did I say that?" But the story is that my wife Marilyn and I had dinner with. Arnie and Kit at Palmer's Restaurant in La Quinta. And uh, in the course of the evening, you know, you have a couple of drinks and you start start thinking about things. And I said, uh, as we talked about aging and getting older, I said, Arnie, uh, I've come to realize that really true maturity is when you meet somebody that is better at what you do than you do yourself. And I thought, oh, Jesus, why did I say that? Because I, that could have been an ugly answer. But without a hesitation, Arnie said, Charlie, that was Jack. The minute I saw Jack, I knew he was the best.
0: Charlie, just a couple more before I let you go. And I think what separated Mr. Nicholas from the rest of the field was his focus and his mental toughness. Tom Watson talked about when Jack would go walking by, he'd be so focused. People used to refer to his eyes as the steely blues. And you had an experience with watching Jack at a tournament where he walked by you, looked you in the eye, and didn't react in any way. And you were concerned that maybe you had done something wrong because he didn't acknowledge you. Talk about his
1: focus in that story. That's right. We met the night before to conclude a business deal. And we had a very warm and close uh, dinner. So the next day, I go out to the course and I position myself where I knew good. i see Jack from the tee to the next screen. He walked right by me, looked right at me, didn't mean a word, didn't, didn't get anything. So I was devastated. I, what the hell did I do? So I saw his one of his the next hour or so, and I said, "What? What happened?" Well, he told me he said, "Charlie, he never saw you. He, his concentration level is such that when he walks from the green to the next tee, he doesn't even know you're there." And I think back on that a lot, Chris, because Tiger is probably the closest to having the same level of concentration. But Jack, when he played, there was nothing else on the golf course. Nothing. The only thing he was thinking about was playing in the next hole. I've never, ever forgotten that because I learned a lot about why he was so great.
0: And Charlie, from all your time as a business partner with Mr. Nicholas, your friendship with him, I read that you learned six lessons from him. One of them is Don't be afraid to challenge the norm. And the other is don't ever challenge Jack Nicholas. Both seem like good (laughs) advice.
1: Both are good advice. Uh, you know, Jack, uh, as when Tiger came along, obviously people began to compete and say who's the best and so on. But when I look back at the level of competition that Jack played against, probably you could, name them as well as I uh, probably five or six Hall of Famers Watson, Trevino, Player and so on and I say to myself hey, he came in more seconds and more thirds than any golfer in history and that was because he focused he knew how to focus and he never ever Chris, ever uh, demeaned or diminished his Competitors. I remember when he lost a tragic loss at Pebble in what '72, when uh, Tom Watson chipped in on 17, and then ended up beating Jack on 18. Uh, I remember going back to the to the. Beat me again, <laughs> and you know Tom did. Tom, Tom then beat him at the at the Sun, and uh, but Jack, if you look at the number of first, seconds, and third, uh, nothing even close, not even close, and that says a lot to me.
0: Charlie, before I let you go, let our listeners know how can they get a copy of your book plus listen to your podcast.
1: My podcasts are on my website, which I think is just com. Getting the book is uh, easy. It's on Amazon or the USGA has a publications arm, and you can buy it that way, too. And, uh, by the way, uh, Chris is doing well. I'm very pleased with the uh, reception. I had a lot of fun writing it. and. I thank you a lot for giving me an opportunity to expose a little bit more about why I wrote it and why I feel so strongly about these guys. I, I can't say enough for these two men and what they meant not just to the play of the game but to the integrity of the game. That's at least as important to me. So thank you for giving me my uh, few opportunities to talk.
0: I appreciate you so much, Charlie. You are endlessly fascinating, and I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime real soon. Always a privilege to get to spend time with you.
1: Anytime you wish, I'm brittle. I <laughs> <laughs>
0: appreciate it, Charlie. Stay
1: I'm safe, ready. my friend. All the I'm, best ni- I'm 92 been. years old, so I'm <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
0: You're fantastic, I'm
1: ready. Charlie. Thank Thank you, you, Charlie.
0: Take care. All the best to you and your family. Bye-bye. See you, Charlie. This is the great Charlie Meacham, folks. He had an amazing career. All three of his books are so much fun to read. The people he's met, the stories he tells are off the charts good. And like he said, on September 12th, he'll turn 92 years of age. What an amazing
1: man. Like I say, I'm already looking forward to having him back on the show again soon.